and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. Hey. So, um, so as you know, I'm engaged. <gasps> oh, this is how you found out? <laughs> oh, no. Um, and, uh, and as you, as you know, I designed my engagement ring. Yeah, she did. And uh, we used family stones. I'm not independently wealthy <laughs> where I could just buy like carrots and carrots of diamonds, but, um, I've never been really a diamond person. Mm-hmm. I really love jewelry, but I've never been like, especially in love with diamonds Yeah, until diamonds. I had diamonds until I had this ring made. And then I was super into diamonds because <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, it's so sparkly. <sighs> and it's, there's something about like, real diamonds Mm -hmm. that trigger something like really, (laughs) really like primitive in your Mm -hmm. brain where you're like pretty, um, sparkly, you know? And it's, uh, I I think that's so interesting because it's been happening for millennia, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's a reason why diamonds and gemstones are a thing. So today I'm going to talk about gemstones in my topic. Diamonds are forever. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. So uh, even though the topic is called Diamonds Are Forever, I'm going to be talking about gemstones <laughs> in a general way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, you'll see there's there's quite a bit about diamonds specifically. Awesome. So anyway, just to get ahead of the game... Uh, the term gemstone is the generalized term for both precious and semi-precious mineral crystals cut and polished and used for jewelry and other adornments. But let's be honest, it's mostly jewelry. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, rocks uh, such as lapis lazuli, opal, mm. and jade are also considered gemstones um, along with organic material that are not minerals such as amber, jet, or pearls. Oh, yeah. So um, I didn't realize, in, in my research, I didn't realize that jet was actually considered a gemstone, and I also had no idea that it was actually organic material. Oh. So as you know, amber is fossilized tree sap, mm-hmm. and pearls are obviously made from um, shellfish. Yep. Yep. And, but jet is actually a mineraloid made from decaying wood under extreme pressure. So it's actually like, um, it's, it's wood that's been pressurized and it turns into like a very black opaque shiny yeah. rock or rock like substance so a gem maker is called a lapidary or a gem Ooh. cutter and a diamond worker like someone who actually like cuts and mm-hmm. works with diamonds is called a diamantier <gasps> i know does not sound fancy. fancy so additionally there are people called gemologists who obviously study gems and their um, ge- gemology is a branch of mineralogy and some jewelers are academically trained gemologists um, and not all gemologists are jewelers. Okay. So there's that. So in the category of what's called precious stones, uh, they are currently considered to be diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. That's, That's it. it. That's, that's what's, what's considered precious stones. Well, both of our birthstones are precious. Yes, they are. (laughs) They're precious stones. Yours is a sapphire, Mm -hmm. correct? And mine is a ruby. Um, Rubies, I don't think are very pretty, but that's a personal opinion. (laughs) I think they're kind of like a weird cross between like pink and red. And I'm like, choose a side. Am I right? Uh, (laughs) So opals and pearls were added to that list of precious stones uh, due to their rarity and beauty. Um, but universally all Mm -hmm. other stones besides the precious stones are considered semi-precious. Oh, neat. Uh, various gems or stones are valued in different cultures. For Mm -hmm. example, jade in Southeast Asia, pearls in China and opal historically in Europe, um, because it was so rare up until the 19th century when vast deposits were found in Australia. Up until then you can only find it in Eastern Europe and very, very small deposits in Russia, um, and in various other places in Eastern Europe. Um, so this idea of like things that were very precious in certain cultures because they were so rare and they were only found like in different places Mm -hmm. and very small mineral deposits and things like that. So another example of that is in ancient Greece, amethyst was, which is basically just purple quartz. Yeah. uh, And you can find it anywhere now. Like quartz is just like, you can go to the local like head shop and you can buy like a handful of quartz. I mean, a handful of amethyst for like Mm -hmm. a buck. 
Um, but it was highly prized and rare because it was they couldn't find it until oh, wow. vast deposits were found in Brazil in the 19th century. It seems like the 19th century was really when they were like, oh my God, wow. there's a lot more of this. Yeah. Uh, and an example, of, like a, a, you attribute this to like aluminum. Aluminium. Aluminium, as you call it in Europe. Uh, so <laughs> aluminum was super rare mm-hmm. because it was so hard to make, mm-hmm. um, even though it's like the third most prevalent mineral on the earth wow. or something like metal on the earth. Yeah. Um, and so in the early days, in the early 19th century, before they could uh, manufacture it very quickly and easily and cheaply, mm-hmm. it was so hard to make that... It was a sign of wealth if you had something oh, aluminum. Gosh. So it's so funny today we have like tin foil, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like aluminum, aluminum foil, is we just everywhere. Toss it out. Yeah, you throw it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, or recycle it. Which you're supposed to recycle it, by the way, just what? recycle it. Yeah, Even recycle if, like, tin you foil. Cooked with it? Yeah, you like ball well, I had an ex boyfriend that was like obsessed with recycling. I think he had a lot of guilt. So he <laughs> would like wash, you know, we would go to Chipotle. <gasps> he would wash the tin foil dry it, pat it dry, boop, boop, boop. And then he would ball it up and throw it into my recycling. And I was like, what are we doing? And sometimes, because as you know, I'm a contrarian, after he left, I would take it and I would throw it away in the garbage. <laughs> it's amazing him. that we broke up. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Sorry. So aluminum, aluminum was very rare. So um, a lot of royalty would make um, tea sets out of aluminum. Oh, yeah. And in fact, the cap of the Washington Monument is made of aluminum. And it was, <gasps> at the time, it was 100 grams of aluminum. It was the largest cast piece of aluminum ever made. And now wow. it's like, meh. Like mid-19th century. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it was the 1870s, 1880s, where it was starting to become more cheaply made, mm-hmm. and so it was a thing. But... Um, I always thought that was super interesting. <laughs> that something that became, that was so rare mm-hmm. and so highly prized, very quickly <laughs> moved to low brow, like yeah. anybody could afford it. So let's talk about diamonds. Diamonds. Let's uh, talk about diamonds and basically precious stones in general. So when I say diamond from here on out, I'm talking about precious stones. So let's talk about the four C's of grading a diamond that a gemologist or a jeweler would uh-huh. talk about. So you've got color, clarity, cut, and carrots. And we'll talk about that. So um, colors of diamonds originate from lattice defects and impurities. So diamonds and most precious stones are um, crystal minerals. Mm -hmm. So they're built naturally. um, And you can also grow them in labs. Uh, But those are created gemstones. And then there's natural gemstones. And of course, natural gemstones are worth more money. Of course. Um, so, but it, you know, because they are create, they are created by the earth and not mm-hmm. like a bunch of people in a lab, they're rarer and therefore worth a lot more money. So, um, uh, nitrogen is by far the most common impurity found in gem diamonds and is responsible for the yellow and brown colors in diamonds. Ah, uh, yes. Like all those commercials that are like, Oh my God, chocolate, chocolate diamonds. diamonds. I was like, that just means they had like a lot of these ugly things that no one wanted to buy. How can we brand these? So here I have some Mm -hmm. information about that. So brown diamonds, you've seen the Le'Veon chocolate Chocolate diamonds. diamonds. Give me a break. If you bought a chocolate diamond, you have been swindled by the diamond industry, <laughs> by Le'Veon specifically. And I'm calling Le'Veon out. That started in apparently the 1950s. So brown diamonds mm-hmm. are still, were and are still used in industrial purposes. Okay, yeah. You need diamonds you because need it's the hardest things. mineral. Yeah. You need to cut things. But because brown diamonds are the most, uh, most common mm-hmm. color in natural diamonds, they were like, well, I mean, we can sell them to industrial applications yeah. but it's so much cheaper because there's so many of them but if we could sell them as jewelry we could give it a huge markup mm-hmm. and people would buy them if we tell them that it's not a brown, it's not a brown diamond. diamond it's a chocolate, it's a chocolate diamond. diamond so in the 1950s they started it wasn't just Le'Veon it was several other like jewelers that mm-hmm. came up with this the, in the diamond industry and the, they named the them two things. families that own all the diamonds <laughs> exactly. in the world so it was like they gave them names like caramel or tobacco <sighs> You know, things like that, espresso diamonds. And in fact, it wasn't super successful because they had too many colors. Like they used, they just took all the brown diamonds Uh of any like hue. Yeah. And then they just graded them by 
whatever and then gave oh them gosh. arbitrary names. And then it was confusing to the field because there was like 25 <laughs> different, and you were like, am I getting a tobacco diamond or am I getting an espresso diamond? So um, that didn't work very well. But then in the early 2000s, Le'Veon really, really like, coming on thick into with that. that. She likes chocolate. Oh, give right? me a break. Then buy her, her some chocolate. Buy her some chocolate. Not some diamonds. ugly ass brown diamond. So, but I, I give them kudos to Le'Veon. <laughs> they for tried. Really, they really, really did. They really and tried. Honest to God, it was pretty successful because <laughs> they're still doing it. I mean, this is yeah. like 2002 or 2003 mm. that they were like, let's really double down on this. And they're still, I mean, I still see ads. Who's so, buying them? Oh, I don't know. Dummies. <laughs> if you have a chocolate diamond, please tweet us and tell us why. <laughs> and, <laughs> or if you've, if you've already stopped listening to it. Um, so, all right, yellow and brown colors and diamonds. Um, uh, blue diamonds, boron is responsible for that color. So a boron in a diamond, and that's technically considered an impurity. Mm. So a colorless diamond is um, sort of his, like traditionally kind of what people wanted because mm-hmm. it's sparkly and it's beautiful and it's when it's well cut, it really has a lot of fire, which right. is a, a term we'll talk about in a minute. But um, irradiation is also responsible for color in diamonds. And it sometimes occurs naturally, but mostly it's done in labs to synthetically color gems. Mm. And a lot of times just general heating of a gem okay. can give it some color because it activates oh. certain mm-hmm. elements that are already present in the stone and can make it a deeper color or a different color. And um, that's another thing that they use to color diamonds. Wow. So in order of increasing rarity, so in order from like most common to least common, uh, Colored diamonds are uh, yellow diamond is uh, the most common, Mm -hmm. followed by brown, colorless, blue, green, black, pink, orange, purple, and red is the rarest color of diamond. So, like, okay, okay. If you're not a gemologist, sure, and you're shopping, sure, and you are at a yard sale, yeah, and you see a ring and it is like a red stone, yeah, like. How on earth would anybody be able to tell if it was a red die, a rare, rare red diamond versus like a ruby, a ruby or versus you know piece of glass or something? Well, you know? I don't think yeah. y- you would. There are some jewelers and gemologists that can just, I, th- I you know, that you're trained yeah, by yeah. eye to look at something and be like, oh, that's glass. But in terms of like the difference between like a garnet and a red mm-hmm. diamond, that's like on a that's on a molecular level. Wow. That's on like a crystal level, and so, we'll talk. Even if like you had a rare, rare red diamond, like how would you know? Yeah. Or you, like, yeah. how would anybody who saw your jewelry know that? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like yeah. it's, it's also kind of, I mean, the whole point of this too, we'll talk about this is that <laughs> it's kind of arbitrary too. Yeah. Like diamonds are actually not that rare, just mm-hmm. diamonds in general, but because of De Beers mm-hmm. and because there's a lot of like holding back in the industry, of like just releasing certain things or like, this is super rare. We only see so much of this. So we're going to mark up the price on that. And so it's being read by the, by retail as being rare. So yeah, I'll pay $10,000 for that, you know, purple diamond or whatever. So a lot of this is extremely arbitrary. It doesn't have any basis in fact. And that's why De Beers (laughs) is like one of the most corrupt and like corrupt companies, but we'll talk about that later. So, um, yes, red diamonds are the most rare, but you can't tell the, you wouldn't buy eyes yeah. able to tell the difference between a rare okay. red diamond and just like a garnet or a ruby yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so black or carbonado <gasps> diamonds are not truly black, but rather contain ner- numerous dark inclusions that give the gem their dark appearance. Um, black diamonds are also the toughest form of diamond oh. and, um, oh yeah, they might be from space. <laughs> they might. Black diamonds might be from space, Julia. Oh. So um, there are some theories, and it's not that carbonado diamonds uh, are seen kind of in different places around the world in Russia, and there's actually um, a small, um, like, source of them in the western United States, I think, like in Utah. And it just so happens that you can find quite a bit of uh, carbonado diamonds around a crater that's out there. So they think that the impact crater actually caused the chemical and pressure process that creates diamonds. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that cool? So the other thing is, is that um, what I wanted to talk about color, um, 
is I went to a conference quite a few years ago when I was uh, still working for Syracuse University. We went to a Costume Society of America conference, mm-hmm. and the theme was red. It was great. It was such a fun uh, conference. It was probably <laughs> the best conference I've ever gone to. But um, the theme was red, so we had some people from Valentino come and debut oh, the wow. documentary about Valentino. We had a woman from Louboutin talk about like the Louboutin red soul and wow. sort of thing. And then we had a gemologist who talked about red in jewelry, red yeah. diamonds and rubies and that kind of thing. Oh, cool. And he said something that absolutely blew my mind. Red, uh, actually pink is not a real color. Pink is just light red. Okay. So when you talk about in terms of gems in like retail, in like the, the wide world, you could call something a pink diamond. Okay. But in, when you're a gemologist, it's actually imprecise to call it pink because there are different grades of red, just like there are different grades of purple or blue or whatever. So he, they just call it light red. And I was like, like, Oh my God, you're right. Pink is just light red. Oh my God. Where's my life? What's my name? Where am I going? So that was really interesting. You're going to tell me Pluto isn't a planet. Oh my God. My life is so different. Um, (laughs) So, and he was very kind. He was British and I actually showed him one of my pendants and he Aww. looked at it with his uh, jeweler's loop, which he had around his neck at all times. And of he course. said, it looks like there's little diamonds in there. And I was oh. like, okay, great. Thank you. And I like snatched it away from him because <laughs> I was like super embarrassed that I actually even just brought him Aww. a piece of my jewelry. Um, but yeah, that was very fun. Great. So um, speaking of gemologists, mm-hmm. the Gemological Institute of America or the GIA, uh, they classify low saturation yellow and brown diamonds as diamonds in the normal color range. That's a technical mm, term. Okay. Um, and they apply a grading scale from D, which is colorless, to Z, which is light yellow. And diamonds of a different color, such as blue, are called fancy colored diamonds and fall fancy under a diamonds. Yeah, fancy is something that's like a real technical term in gemology, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But yeah, fancy colored diamonds. And they fall uh, under a different grading scale than okay. the yellow. So things that are rarer have a different grading scale than um, okay, yeah, than normal than normal. So uh, clarity of a diamond refers to the visual appearance of the diamond. So aside from impurities that may give the diamond color, such as boron or nitrogen, uh, flaws called inclusions, which affect the internal visual structure of the stone, and blemishes, which affect the exterior, can affect price and value. So inclusions occur when solids, liquids, or gases are trapped in a mineral as it is formed. And obviously the clearest flawless stones are the most valuable of the colorless stones. Obviously. Yeah. Um, However, inclusions and blemishes can help identify diamonds as no two are the same and serve as the stones like fingerprints. Oh, okay. Um, And also clarity can be artificially enhanced by laser drilling. This is kind of cool. So a laser burns a hole into the diamond and an acid wash removes the (gasps) inclusion agent. And then the clarity grade is the grade after the treatment. Wow. Um, This, as you may imagine, is a permanent thing. (laughs) Uh, in the largest diamond in my uh, um, engagement ring, it was my mother's she has mother. Multiple diamonds. Yes, in her I have ring. three diamonds in mm. my engagement ring. Maybe I'll tweet out a photo. We'll oh. see. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, actually a pretty large inclusion that you can see with your naked eye, and apparently it was in my grandmother's engagement ring. And my mom, when she was a little kid, mm-hmm. was looking at it once, and she was like, "Mom, there's like a black spot in here." And she had no idea oh. and she got so furious Aww. at my mom's dad that he bought her a diamond <laughs> with a black spot in it. But it's kind of cool. It's almost close to the center. So you really wouldn't Aww. notice unless you were looking for it. But so there you go. Um, the term clarity used to be called water uh, before the 20th century. Oh. So a diamond of the first water is a diamond with great clarity and luster. Wow. And then there would be like a second water and mm. like a third water and so on. Interesting. So the cut of a diamond is the style or design guide used when shaping a stone for polishing. So cut does not refer to shape, such as like pear or oval, um, but the symmetry, proportioning, and polish of a diamond. So if you imagine like looking into a diamond, all of those like facets Facets. that you Mm -hmm. see, that's what the cut is. Oh, wow. so it uh, greatly the cut of a diamond greatly affects a diamond's brilliance, um, and this means if it's cut poorly, it will be less 
luminous. Um, brilliance, the term brilliance refers to the white light reflections from the external and internal facet surfaces. The fire of a diamond refers to the spectral colors, which are produced as a result of the diamond dispersing the white light. So like, like rainbows, when you see Mm, like a a diamond, like prisms, yeah, like Mm -hmm. prisms and things, that's what's known as the fire. And, uh, scintillation refers to the small flashes of light that are seen when the diamond, uh, light source or the viewer is moved. So that's like oh, sparkle, like mm-hmm. the sparkle that you see. A diamond that is cut and polished to produce a high level of these qualities is said to be higher, high in light performance. <laughs> yeah. It's, this is like, wow. this is You're getting that, down. So oh, I'm getting, I'm getting yeah. granular up in here. So the setting a diamond is placed in, it also affects the performance of light through a diamond. Sure. So the three most commonly used settings are prong, bezel, and channel. Okay. So a prong setting is the most popular setting. It's like those claws that hold the diamond in. Yeah. So that's common. You see it all the time. Um, and it's supposed to be pretty like secure to keep the diamond in. But in modern technology, like in the past, prong settings were the most secure because it was the only way. But now with modern technology and computers and things like that, any setting can be like really super secure. Nice. A bezel setting, which I have, is like the the ring where it's kind of it's sort of flush the metal with the metal surrounds the, yes yeah, the metal surrounds completely. it and it actually doesn't come up over the edge mm-hmm. of the diamond and then a channel is just when diamonds are just placed next to each other in a row mm-hmm. and then the setting of the metal goes around all of them mm-hmm. so that that gives like a, a uniform kind of look to them from a distance so you can put a bunch of different diamonds in a row in a channel setting and then that looks like it it's bigger or there's more light reflecting from it. So the channel setting also protects the girdle area of the stone, which we'll talk about in just a second. Yeah. The girdle. (laughs) So, um, the most popular cut of diamond is known as the round brilliant. I mean, everyone has seen this just a round diamond that looks shiny and beautiful. Uh, mathematics and computer assisted laser cutting has made the jewelry industry more efficient Mm. and diamonds more conventionally beautiful regardless of their quality. Um, math helps with angles and reflection of the light that hits the stone. And it's very scientific now. <laughs> so parts of a cut stone. So if you're looking at the side of a diamond, you got like the, the domed top and then the little pointy bottom, mm-hmm. right? So the domed top, the whole domed top is called a crown. Okay. While the flat part at the top, like you've got the dome and then it flattens out. Uh-huh. That's called the table. Aww. <laughs> yeah. And then the edge of the diamond between the domed top and the pointy end is called the girdle. Okay. So that can uh, most often be the weakest point okay. of the diamond because that's when the angle uh, occurs most Changes. sharply. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then um, the uh, pointy bottom is known as the pavilion. Okay. So you got the table. You got the table. On the top crown. of the crown. Mm-hmm. Then the girdle. The girdle. And then the pavilion. Pavilion, Yep. So the slices of the diamond, like the different individual uh, things, are called facets. Mm -hmm. And the more facets, the sparklier the diamond, but the more facets mean less diamond because you have to cut that diamond away. (laughs) So that's like, that's the balance that they have to take. Like you want it to look really beautiful, but if it's tiny after you're done, then it's not worth anything anyway. So, (laughs) or not worth as much, I should say. Um, different shapes are known as fancy cuts. So these are like, you've heard of these emerald cut, Asher, marquee and cushion cuts are all examples mm-hmm. of this. So there's something called, um, hearts and arrows when you're looking at a round, brilliant cut. Okay. So hearts and arrows is apparently, and the Japanese have gotten this perfectly done. So when you look down from the top, from the crown down, all of the facets should make a pattern that look like arrows pointing out. Okay. And they're supposed to be perfectly symmetrical. You can see it like, and you can only see this under a microscope. Yeah. But it's arrows pointing out. And then if you flipped it over to the pavilion where the pointy end is looking at you and the the crown is on the bottom, Mm -hmm. if you look down in a microscope, it should be hearts. Like beautiful little hearts with the pointy end of the hearts pointing inwards. (laughs) And the hearts, and that's supposed to be perfectly symmetrical, wow. and that's supposed to be a sign that the the diamond has been perfectly Perfect. cut. Wow, can't go better than that. And that's only shown in a round cut diamond, but that's supposed to be mm-hmm. like an indication of a perfectly cut diamond. So there's that wow. hearts and arrows. Wow. So additionally, some stone stones are cut as cabochons, which are smooth. They have no facets. Mm-hmm. They kind of look like tumbled stones. Yeah. 
Um, and this kind of cut emphasizes the stones, what's known as the asteria. And that's a pattern of star-shaped light inside the stone caused by the distribution of the yeah. inner crystals. Mm-hmm. So you may have seen that like tiger's eye can mm-hmm. sometimes have an asteria. And a lot of times amethyst is cut as cabochon. Okay. But there have also been precious stones, uh, usually colored stones are cut as cabochons because mm-hmm. colorless diamonds cut as cabochons aren't as pretty. Yeah. I guess like aesthetically pleasing as something that's faceted. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are interesting as well. So, and finally there's carrot carrot is a unit of mass used for measuring gemstones and pearls. So one carrot is equal to 200 milligrams. Okay. Um, the carrot is divisible into 100 points of two milligrams each. So when you say something is like, one and a half carats or mm-hmm. one and three quarter carats or something like that. So those individual points are two carats each. I mean, two milligrams each. So in terms of diamonds, uh, a paragon is a flawless stone of at least 100 carats. So 100 like, carats. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like that's a paragon diamond. It's like big wow. and shiny. So the word carat derives from the Italian carato, which is from the Greek Carration or carob seed. Um, <laughs> and that was originally used to measure gold. But carob, the reason why they used carob seeds back then to measure metal mm-hmm. or diamonds is because they were thought to be universal in weight um, and there were no variation in mass. That? Yeah. Um, that's not true. There's actually <laughs> variation in mass just like any other Definitely. seeds, but mm-hmm. because they were, they looked like they had equal mass. Um, so carrot has, carob seeds were used to measure jewelry throughout history. And then it became um, standard of measurement. Mm -hmm. So what are they made out of? What are gemstones made made out of? of? Uh, Diamonds are primarily made of carbon and rubies and sapphires are known as corundum stones, which is uh, primarily aluminum oxide. Um, Diamonds are a 10 on the most scale. They are the thing by which every other stone is measured by. So they're the hardest mineral corundum stones, rubies and sapphires are nine on the most scale. So they're pretty hard. They're also hard. Um, emeralds are the softest of the precious gemstones. They have a hardness of seven to eight on the most scale and emeralds are barrels. Uh, they're made of beryllium, aluminum, cyclosilicate, and, um, they are green thanks to chromium and vanadium. Uh, other barrels uh, are examples of barrels are morganite and aquamarine. So aquamarine. emerald is yeah, in the same okay. family as these. Uh, sometimes gemstones glow. What? <laughs> gemstones glow? They do. It's true. Um, if you've ever wore <laughs> it, yeah. If you've ever seen a gem appear to glow, you've witnessed a gemstone, a gemstone's luminescence. <sighs> so this phenomenon occurs when electrons and certain atoms of a crystallized mineral absorb energy and then release it in small amounts over time. So uh, x-rays, visible light, and even heat can provide the energy to excite the electrons. They get all like, <laughs> get real excited. excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> so they get excited in those minerals. And then gemologists most often use UV lights. They shine it on them and then um, they release that energy and you can see that energy going out. So this is one way of testing for natural versus synthetic gemstones. Okay. Because a natural gemstone that that has been um, irradiated Mm -hmm. uh, or has that electron characteristic will glow. Synthetic gemstones will not. Okay. Um, So this idea of like coal turning into diamonds. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. I know. I hate to, I hate to, Ugh. I'm going to be busting you up You mean some that myths. old wives tale? <laughs> Coal into diamonds? No. Uh, reason being is because more than 99% of diamonds ever mined have formed in the conditions of extreme heat and pressure about 90 miles below the earth's surface. And coal is formed from prehistoric plants buried much closer to the surface and is unlikely to migrate below two miles through common geological processes. So coal ah. doesn't go deep enough for them to experience, for it to experience <laughs> it the to level become, of pressure yeah, okay. to be a diamond. So most diamonds that have been dated are older than the first land plants anyway, and are therefore <laughs> older than coal to begin with. And it's possible that diamonds can form from coal in meteoroid impacts, but diamonds formed this way are super rare, obviously. Wow. And the carbon source is most likely just carbonate rocks and organic carbon in sediments rather than coal. So there you go. Jeez. Um, so let's talk about some gemstone records. Let's talk about some gemstone records. Let's do it. So the largest precious gemstone ever found and faceted, Kay. so cut, 
is known as the Golden Jubilee Diamond. It is 545.67 carats, which means it is 109.13 grams. It's is it like the size of a baseball. It's um, it's like the size, yeah, a little bit smaller, like the size of a uh, it's a small ball that looks like, like this. a cue ball, <laughs> like a cue ball, yes. And it's faceted, and it's a a very pretty yellow color. Oh. I'm not a yellow fan. You know, yeah. the canary diamond yeah. is really big. I think J Lo got one years ago. <laughs> I think Ben Affleck gave J Lo a canary diamond. <laughs> But it's pretty. Um, so the largest precious gemstone ever found, yet unfaceted, is the Bahia Emerald. It weighs approximately 840 pounds. <laughs> yeah. What? It contains more than 180,000 carats. So it's. I've seen a picture of it. I yeah. was like, how is this 840 pounds? It's actually inside other sediments. Like it's oh. an emerald and it's all a contiguous emerald. Yeah. But there's also other stuff in there as well. Jeez. And it hasn't actually been removed from it to make it like a whole yeah. emerald and also cut down because a lot of times there's, you know, these gemstones aren't perfect. Yeah. They don't come out of the ground looking like a cartoon diamond. <laughs> so a lot of like the stuff that has inclusions or damage mm-hmm. or different elements to it that are, don't make it like uniformly colored or uniformly beautiful that gets cut away. Yeah. Um, so this guy never got cut. So it's still in its natural raw Jeez. shape of and, uh, 840 pounds. <laughs> so it originated in Bahia, which is Brazil in Brazil and is emerald crystals embedded in host rock. Okay. So that's what it's called. A host mm-hmm. rock. Host it was rock. subsequently restored, reported stolen <gasps> in September, 2008 from a secured vault in South El Monte in Los Angeles County, California. And the stone has been valued at some $400 million, but the true value is unclear. Yeah. And it's missing? It is still missing. <gasps> at one point, the emerald was listed for sale on eBay for a buy it now price of $75 million. Oh my God. But that was probably a joke. Yeah. So yeah, they still don't know where it is. So it's probably been all cut up already. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's been just Ship cut chopped. up and and sold individually because you would make way more money oh with a bunch gosh. of largish rocks yeah. than just that thing. So, um the largest semi-precious gemstone unfaceted ever found weighs 6 tons and measures 1.6 meters in diameter. It's known as the pearl. And <laughs> a it, 6 ton oh, wait, it is a yes, a 6 ton a six-ton pearl. Okay, it's not a pearl. <laughs> oh, okay. It just is cut <laughs> like a pearl. It's round. Wow, okay. And I saw a picture of it and it's, there's a bunch of girls around it, Chinese girls that are like hugging it Oh my gosh. because it's so big. They yeah. can't even like put their arms around it. Um, the owners are Chinese mm-hmm. um, and it's, uh, it was the largest ever discovered and it's estimated to be worth 2 billion yuan. What which, type of stone is it? It is um, fluorite mineral. Oh wow. So it's like a beautiful kind of creamy green color. Okay. I initially, when I saw the picture, I thought it was jade. Oh my gosh. Um, and there's yeah. like variations and things. It looks like a, like a drawing of a planet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it has like that variation in color yeah. because it's round. It's wow. very beautiful. It's interesting. So it what didn't come out of the ground round. No, it did not. It did, or the ground round. It actually the- took them three years to grind it down to the round shape. Wow. Yeah. So it's worth like $301 million. <laughs> and uh, it glows green in the dark, <gasps> which is super cool. Wow. Uh, so the rarest, the rarest gemstone in the world, just in general, okay. it's called painite. 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 It was discovered in Myanmar in the 1950s by British mineralogist and gem dealer Arthur Charles Davy Payne. Um, it looks like topaz. It's actually not oh. that pretty. Um, only two specimens have been cut into faceted gemstones because it is so rare. Wow. Yeah, and because it is so rare, it's worth a lot of money, even though it's not super pretty or yeah. useful. Like it doesn't have <laughs> like a, a use, but yeah. then again, you know, yeah. a lot of gemstones don't diamonds do. And a lot yeah. of other hard minerals like, like ruby rubies are used in lasers or something. Yeah. Uh, corundum in general mm-hmm. is used on nail files. Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. like low grade rubies, sapphires, mm-hmm. corundum in general is used for <laughs> like sandpaper basically. <laughs> um, so here's, here's something great. It is not bad luck to wear opals. I didn't know that it was oh, really? bad luck to wear opals. See, I always heard because I love opals. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? They're like rainbow, like magical. Yeah. Your eyes just go inside of them because they're so beautiful. They're also very soft. Um, but 
that's, that's been like an old wives tale. Like uh, unless it's your birthstone, it's bad luck to wear opals. I have never heard that. So the origination of this is in 1829, Sir Walter Scott published a novel titled Anne of Geierstein or the maiden of the mist. Uh, in the novel, the Baroness of Arnheim wears a talisman made of opal bestowed with magical powers. When holy water is splashed on the opal, it loses its colors and the Baroness becomes a pile of ash. <gasps> It is because of this fictional scene that people started to associate opals with bad omens. Uh, long before Sir Walter Scott's fantastical tale, the ancient Greeks and Romans thought opal was a symbol of good luck and fortune. Yeah. Because Jeez. it was so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, due to its many colors, the opal was a symbol of hope like the rainbow. Aww. It was often given as a gift to bring protection and wealth to the wearer. And the gift from the heavens, women often wore the gem in their hair to ensure their hair color would not fade. A lot of blonde women <laughs> in ancient cultures would uh-huh. wear opals in their hair Aww. to protect their blonde hair color. That's really great. Isn't that funny? Uh, opals were originally thought to possess magical qualities and bring its wearer foresight. Uh, they were also used to help shy, timid people be more open in social situations as they were thought to have the power to amplify feelings and desires and promote spontaneity. Hmm. So there you go. Opals are very useful. <laughs> um, so let's talk about a couple of other semi-precious stones. Okay. Uh, jade. Yes. Um, Jade can actually be two kinds of stones. So jade is actually uh, either nephrite or jadeite. Okay. Nephrite is lighter in color usually and can even be uh, like a creamy white color. And that is known as mutton fat jade in China, which is super (laughs) gross. But it does look like fat. Like it's like a creamy like off white. Oh, wow. Um, Nephrite is also softer uh, just in general. Uh, jadeite can come in a variety of colors, including blue, red, black, dark green, which is most often seen, hmm. lavender, and white. And jadeite is harder, and it was used for um, ads and axe heads uh, most often because it was harder. Oh, you, could, you could actually grind it down mm-hmm. to a uh, point. Oh, yeah. Like you've, you see jade knives oh, nowadays. Yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, translucent emerald green jadeite is the most prized variety, both historically and today. So mm. that kind of like beautiful, creamy green, right. grass green color is the jadeite. Cool. Lapis lazuli. Um, the word azure comes from both the color and the name of this semi-precious stone. Mm. It is metamorphic and has been mined since the seventh century. Uh, at the end of the Middle Ages, it was exported to Europe, where it was often ground into powder to make ultramarine, which is the finest oh, and most yeah. expensive of all blue pigments. Paint. Yes. Yeah. It is a rich, perfect blue. Mm-hmm. It is the most perfect blue you've ever laid eyes on. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. And it's uh, it's uh, perfectly understandable that it was used by some of the most important artists of the Renaissance and Baroque, including Masaccio, Perugino, Titian and Vermeer, and was also reserved for the clothing of the central figures of their paintings, especially, of course, the Virgin Mary, oh, who most of often course. wore blue. Um, so pearls. Mm-hmm. Uh, pearls are basically clam scars. So, <laughs> so oh, so I'm, okay. We, <laughs> they're clam scars. So um, I'm on. sure you've heard this, but when a bit of microscopic irritant gets into the shell of a living mollusk, it covers it in layers of what's known as nacre. Mm-hmm. Um, an ACRE, it's uh, the, which is calcium carbonate mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, uh, which is what the shell is made out of too. So, you know, mother of pearl, where it has like that beautiful iridescence, that's the inside lining of a shell. Mm-hmm. And that's the same stuff, knacker, as what a pearl is made out of. So the layers of a pearl are translucent. Knacker is not opaque. Okay. So um, the light reflects and bounces through the layers of the pearl and it gives it that characteristic luminous iridescent quality. Um, did you know pearls can be dissolved in vinegar or any other weak acid? So watch your pearls. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you're not supposed to like wash your hands if you have like yep. a pearl ring or bracelets or something. Yeah. On they're and, very delicate. Yeah. They're very mm-hmm. soft um, material. Mm-hmm. Um, natural pearls are extremely rare. Uh, most real pearls you see are cultured pearls, uh, where an irritant, usually a bead (laughs) is introduced into a bivalve and then harvested sometimes as soon as six months. So, um, a way to tell the difference between a natural and a cultured pearl is through x-ray. So a natural pearl will have like the rings of a tree. Okay. You can see Mm -hmm. in the x-ray that it goes like in rings down to like a tiny nothing. And that's where you get that beautiful luminous quality because the light is going inside the pearl wow, okay. and like bouncing around uh-huh. in there. 
A cultured pearl is a bead with like a thin layer of knacker around yeah. it. And sometimes they'll leave that bead in there for a little bit longer. So there's a couple of extra layers mm-hmm. so that you get a little bit more of that bounce of light inside. But, um, and that's when you can like from the naked eye, if you're not like a pearl aficionado yeah. or a gemologist or a jeweler, uh, you would not really be able to tell the difference between a natural pearl and yeah. a cultured pearl. I think I learned that, not that I've ever done this, but if you have a necklace and you don't, you, you're not sure, you take a bead near the back and you bite into it. Yeah. And if it like scratches it, that you, that maybe it's, maybe it's real. Yeah. You rub it against your teeth. Yeah. And that's another way of finding out if something is um, ivory. Yeah. Ivory, uh, if you rub it against your teeth, will have like a grainy quality mm-hmm. as opposed to something that's just plain bone or glass or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not highly recommended for museum workers. Uh, yeah. although there have been many times when we were looking at something and be like, I wonder if this is ivory. And I we're just like, want to lick it. Oh, I should just put it in my mouth. <laughs> my coworker, Sarah never lets me rub uh, ivory on my teeth. Ugh, whatever. So, so, um, since obviously since natural pearls are a lot rarer and mm-hmm. the synthetic ones are more common. Is it when we see the term like freshwater pearl, that's like code for this is a synthetic pearl. So, um, there, so there are such thing as f- natural freshwater pearls. Yeah. But I'm not going to be able to get them at like target. No. <laughs> um, so when they're like freshwater pearls, that means they're cultured freshwater mm-hmm. pearls. Yeah. Um, there are, I, th- I think that, Cultured freshwater pearls are the most prevalent because they're yeah. the easiest to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that in a lab, like yeah. freshwater. Like you, you just got pour some freshwater here <laughs> yeah. from your sink. Um, but a natural pearl, like from like a giant clam, you're not going to culture that, right? Because it's too expensive to make and do and all that stuff. Got to keep that clam alive. Yeah, you got to keep that clam alive. <laughs> so, so the uh, the largest natural pearl ever found was discovered in a giant clam by a Filipino fr- fisherman in 2006, and he kept it under his bed for 10 years. <laughs> it is 75 pounds, <gasps> and it is two feet by one foot. What? And it usurped the previously largest natural pearl, known as the Pearl of Lao Tzu, Ooh. which was discovered in a giant clam in the Philippines. <laughs> and that was 14.6 pounds, and it was 24 centimeters. Oh, my gosh. So when you, so when you think of a natural pearl... Mm-hmm. You know, you it's, like the idea of like, it's, they just open up a giant clam and out comes yeah. this perfect sphere. Yeah. And that's not the case. Right. It's, you know, all lumpy and weird yeah. looking. You couldn't really like, where does jewelry? <laughs> it's a, so when they say natural pearl, it means yeah. not a gemstone pearl, which is a difference. Yeah. Uh, FYI, the pearl of Lao Tzu uh, looks like a hunk of French, fresh <laughs> mozzarella. It, <laughs> it is so creamy white and opaque and it just looks like I actually I was doing my research and I was like I wonder what the pearl Lao Tzu looks like, and I you know Google uh-huh. image search, and I was like, damn, I'm hungry. That looks delicious. <laughs> looks ooh. ooh, let's put that on a pizza. That sounds that's awesome. <laughs> and then the the largest pearl, the the big one that the guy kept under his bed, is actually kind of like ribbed and long, right. like it was inside this. Yeah, it was inside a giant clam bird. Ever. So um. The largest gemstone pearl was 33.14 carats and uh, sold at auction for nearly $500,000 in 2014. And it's about the, so it means it's about the size of a dime (gasps) and it's, they showed a picture of it. It's gorgeous. Oh, sure. Like some, yeah, again, some like primitive part of my brain was like, like, I was like, oh my God, I need that in my body. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's like creamy pink and it had like the light in it is so beautiful. It looks like it glows. Oh, it's gorgeous. Mm. So that's my, uh, that's my topic on gemstones. Wow. I could have really like, I could have gone nuts. Yeah. Like we could have talked about the Koh-i-Noor. We could have talked about mm. like the British like crown jewels. Hope diamond. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, but you know, I just don't have enough time, but you know, maybe I'll do another, maybe, you know what? Maybe my thing <laughs> all with this of Lauren's podcast will be series continuations. So my quiz today is called diamonds are a girl's best friend. A quiz on jewelry. Question number one. What famous jewelry company is known for its clover design, which is named the Alhambra? Question number two. Which jewelry designer provides the engagement rings on ABC's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette? Question number three. 
In what movie musical did Marilyn Monroe sing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend? Question number four. Which jeweler and luxury goods company is older? Is it Tiffany and Company or Cartier? Question number five. Who needs a handbag? This 19th century piece of jewelry was mostly composed of the stuff you needed, either in the home or out. Name this probably noisy object worn at the waist. Question number six. You can basically thank this diamond conglomerate and all-around evil company for blood diamonds, African civil wars, and the engagement ring industry. What company am I talking about whose motto is a diamond is forever? Question number seven. True or false, Elizabeth Taylor had her own line of jewelry. Question number eight. What color is the Hope Diamond? Question number nine. Don't say crown. What is the name of the ornamental headband worn by ancient royalty and derived from the ribbon headband worn by Hellenic athletes? And finally, question number 10. You probably don't know this if you don't watch PBS. Who is the fan favorite Armenian third generation jewelry appraiser on Antiques Roadshow who looks like my dad? We'll give you a minute to think about it and I'll be right back with answers. Diamonds are forever Okay, All here right. we go. All right, here I'm we go. I'm excited about this. All right, question number one. What famous jewelry company is known for its clover design named the Alhambra? Is it Van Cleef and Arpels? It is Van Cleef and Arpel. One, uh, it is one of the Arples. oldest... Arpels. Van Cleef <laughs> and Arpels. That's fine. That's fine. They're Dutch. Whatever. Who knows? Uh, they are one of the oldest high-end jewelry watch and perfume companies. It was founded in France by Alfred Van Cleef and his uncle Solomon Arpel in 1896. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The shape is a catrafoil. Quatrefoil, yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, uh, question number two, what jewelry designer provides the engagement rings on ABC's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette? Is it Neil Lane? It is Neil Lane, and he comes personally. <laughs> He's like, Deliver. he he delivers yeah. like three, and the guy chooses from the three, and they're all hideous. <laughs> they're just like coated in like low-grade diamonds. Oh. They have like that shitty, ah, eh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, this I have year. Everybody gets chocolate diamonds. <laughs> gets chocolate diamonds. They they had their budget cut, so they had to go with Le'Veon. Oh, I'm just <laughs> I am just shitting on Le'Veon tonight. Anyway, question number three: In what movie musical did Marilyn Monroe sing "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend"? Is it Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? It is Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. That's one of my favorite Marilyn Monroe musicals. It's so <laughs> funny. It's cute. It's a great. It's light and bubbly. It's like. Cheap champagne is great. And if you like that movie, you'll love the scene in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where Rebecca Bunch sings the math of love triangles. That is a very, it's her homage to Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. It is so funny and it's great. It's fabulous. Definitely watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and we are not sponsored by them. No. Uh, Although we would like to be. Yes. We would love it. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Question number four, which jeweler and luxury goods company is older? Is it Tiffany or is it Cartier? I'm going to say Cartier. It is Tiffany. Tiffany was found. They started with glass. They did. Well, they both did, actually. Okay. So uh, Tiffany was founded in 1837. Okay. And Cartier came out 10 years later in 1847. Okay. So they, I mean, it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of history. But for trivia purposes, Tiffany is older and is actually the oldest. Okay. 
Question number five, who needs a handbag? This 19th century piece of jewelry was mostly composed of the stuff you needed, either in the home or out. Name this probably noisy object worn at the waist. Okay. So, I think you know this. Like like on Down Abbey. Yes. <sighs> Mrs. Hughes wears yes, one. Yes, she wears one. And the letter it starts with is a C. Yes, it is. And <laughs> it... Do you want me to just tell you? <sighs> but I know it. I know you know it. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the answer. Okay, just tell me. It's a Chatelaine. Oh, oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> I was. I know you were. Damn it. I didn't, it's not, I, again, I, it's not like I don't believe you. It's a Chatelaine. So a Chatelaine <laughs> is a decorative belt hook or clasp worn at the waist, usually attached to the belt. Uh, on which dangled your keys, scissors, vinaigrette, thimbles, watches, etc. Yeah, your vinaigrette. Oh, a vinaigrette yeah. is well for the for listener purposes. A vinaigrette was like smelling salts. Mm-hmm. So if your corset was too tight <laughs> and you passed out in the middle of washing dishes, someone could run to your chatelaine, grab your vinaigrette, <laughs> stick it under your nose. These are all like ancient words I'm using. Yeah. But Chatelaine started out um, actually in the 16th and 17th century. Very uh, high-end women would wear chatelaines. Mm. And then in the 19th century, it became more um, kind of middle class. A lot of housekeepers would wear them. Yeah. And just women in the household would wear chatelaines. So um, question number six, you can basically thank this diamond conglomerate, an all-around evil company for blood diamonds, African civil wars, and the engagement <laughs> ring industry. What company am I talking about whose motto is a diamond is forever? De Beers. It is De Beers. They're kind of the worst. <laughs> they've done they've done a lot of awful things. And I think they're, uh, in the past like 15 to 20 years, have been really attempting to revamp their like PR yeah, uh, and making like conflict free diamonds and paying their workers and blah, blah, blah. But oh, let's pay our workers. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. What, a, what a strange concept. But yeah. Anyway. So question number seven, true or false. Elizabeth Taylor had her own line of jewelry. I'm going to say false. It is true. Actually, Ooh. it was called house of Taylor and she co-owned it with Kathy Ireland. Um, <laughs> as one would imagine, uh, it uh, was, kind of low end. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not super popular. It certainly wasn't as, uh, well, it wasn't as, um, lucrative yeah. as her fragrance line. line. Yes. Uh, she was married eight times, twice to Richard Burton. She made more money with her fragrance collection than in her entire acting career. <laughs> And uh, she owned some of the world's largest gemstones just in general, uh, many of which were given to her by Burton, such as the 33.2 carat Krupp diamond, the 69 carat Taylor Burton diamond, and the 50 carat La Peregrina pearl, formerly owned by Mary I of England. Whoa. So she also had double eyelashes and such deep blue (laughs) eyes that they looked violet. She had like a genetic Mm -hmm. mutation that caused two rows of eyelashes to grow out of her eyeballs, which sounds freaky until yeah. you look at her and you're like, oh my God, I would kill yeah. for her eyelashes. We were all like be injected with that. Yeah, please. she basically had falsies on <laughs> all day, every day. She was so gorgeous. Oh my God. Anyway, question number eight. What color is the Hope Diamond? Blue. It is blue. It is what's uh, it is steely blue or what's known as fancy dark grayish blue according to the Gemological fancy Institute. Fancy blue. Fancy blue. Uh, my cousin Jason, who is a chef, he used to work for um, a huge restaurant down in D.C. when he was living mm-hmm. down there. He got to hold it. Ooh. So my cousin Jason is a fun, funny guy. He's very social. He can like. I've charm. never heard you talk about your cousin Jason. Well, before. I <laughs> we lost touch for like years, and he makes wonderful food and is probably one of the funniest people I know. But he was catering an event at the National Museum of Natural History in D.C. Mm-hmm. and he was talking to a bunch of the security guards. And the guy was like, "You want to hold the Hope Diamond?" And he was like, "Hell yeah!" yeah. So they took him in and they like turned off the you know yeah. security and they handed it to him and he said it was like the size of a walnut mm-hmm. and it was heavier than he was expecting because there's like diamonds around yeah. it and um he said that he had like a quick daydream of like pretending to like run for the door yeah. but then he <laughs> realized that they would probably shoot him yeah. on sight uh-huh. and that he would be his children would never see him again and all this yeah stuff. so <laughs> so but he got to hold it and that was like a fun story thanks jason that was fun so 
Question number nine, don't say crown. What is the name of the ornamental headband worn by ancient royalty and derived from the ribbon headband worn by Hellenic athletes? Is it a diadem? It is a diadem. Um, it uh, also, a diadem now is kind of interchangeable with the term tiara. Mm-hmm. But uh, historically, a diadem is worn like across the forehead and it's like a band mm-hmm. of gold or silver, or like a bunch of stones. And a tiara is worn at the crown of the head at the top of your head. Yes. I am familiar with the term. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Harry Potter. Oh, there you go. So the, the diadem of Rowena Ravenclaw was one of the horcruxes that was destroyed in book seven. I'm ashamed that I even asked you that question. Um, <laughs> additionally, a good piece of trivia is, you know, the head necklace. So it looks like you're just wearing a necklace on your head with a stone in the okay. middle of your forehead. Mm-hmm. That's known as a fairy a ferionaire. Yes. And that it can also be, and uh, this is the European term. I okay. think there's a separate term for, because this is, this kind of head jewelry is worn mm-hmm. across the world. But uh, you also see it as like um, oh, down the part of your hair yeah. and then dropping down in, above your eyes. Hasn't really caught on in America. The, no, but it's the head like, jewelry. Like, why not? You know what I mean? Like if you're a necklace, like makes people look at your boobs. Uh, a fairy in air, you have to bam. That is, this is my diamond. Look, look at the at my look forehead. At my forehead. Um, <laughs> oh, speak look at it. <laughs> Damn it! Look at my. I spent so much money on this. Look my at eyes it. are right here. <laughs> That's something you say. Like, um, my eyes are down here. <laughs> Quit looking at my diamond. Um, quick plug. I follow a girl on Instagram. Her name is, uh, it's called diamonds in the library. Her name is Becky stone. Mm-hmm. She's like just a jewelry fan and she uh-huh. has a blog and she goes to a bunch of like gem conferences and jewelry conferences yeah. and stuff. And she always posts like really super cool jewelry and like interesting stuff. She did a whole blog post on, um, suffragette jewelry. Oh, cool. Um, last year. And, uh, it's really cool. She's funny too. Like she's got a great sense of humor and um, she's really interactive with her followers and things. She also has a Twitter feed diamonds and the la uh, cause, <laughs> cause there's not, her name is Becky stone, but yeah, follow her on Instagram diamonds in the library. I highly recommend. Cool. Anyway. So question number 10, you probably don't know this if you don't watch PBS. <laughs> what is the fan favorite Armenian third generation jewelry appraiser on antiques roadshow who looks like my dad? Yakov Shmirnov. No. How dare you? <laughs> it's Kevin Zabian. <laughs> so I know this is like so niche, but he's the consultant appraiser at Doyle, New York, and he's a jewelry repairer and restore. He looks like the Armenian version of my father. He's got like a very strong Brooklyn accent and he's just the best. His dad, Burge used to be, used to travel mm. a roadshow too. And I don't know if he's retired or he is unfortunately passed away. I'm not hundred percent sure. But he would say things like, people would be like, oh, this is my aunt's necklace. And he'd be like, let me tell you about this necklace. You got a fancy yellow four carat diamond (laughs) surrounded by bezel cut diamonds. You got about eight carats on here surrounded with platinum. (laughs) It's built like a truck. I love this thing. It's gorgeous. (laughs) He's amazing. I love him. So I'm... I. I think that was a little unfair because I know you don't watch Antiques Roadshow as much as I do. I watch it, but like... I don't know who everyone is other than the twins. Yeah. The creepy twins. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're probably uh, not creepy, but twins creep me out. Yeah. The grown um, up twins that look, that dress alike. Yes. Oh, I forgot their name. Lee. Lee Kino, the Kino yeah. brothers. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And they just, they love furniture. They, they burn with mm-hmm. the fire of a thousand suns with passion for furniture. And they like flip it upside down and yeah. touch it all over. Would have been worth a million dollars if you hadn't used that pledge on it. Yeah. Damn it. That's the thing. Stay with the original patina, everyone. Don't clean your furniture if you want it to sell it at some point. Just don't. Don't don't clean anything. Is what, don't clean anything if it's worth anything. Exactly. That's what Lauren's trying Keep to tell you. Keep it dirty. That's the rallying that's motto. cry. <laughs> that's the rallying cry of antiques. <laughs> so that was uh, about jewelry. That was my quiz about wow. jewelry and Kevin Zavian. <laughs> Who I am, in fact, going to tag because I just started following him on Twitter. I'm going to tag him in the announcement on Twitter. So FYI. Hi, Kevin. We love you, Kevin. (laughs) You're welcome to come on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, if you love listening to us, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, You can get us through our RSS feed or any place you find a podcast. 
You can contact us with um, our email is misinfopod at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at misinfopod. We're on Facebook, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. And we have a website, www.misinfopod.com. Yes. And, um, oh, I forgot, listener submitted trivia. Oh, listener submitted trivia. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So our latest, um, so we, we put a call out and mm-hmm. it's, the call is still out there. Oh yeah. You can tweet at us. You can tweet man. at us, do it. So, um, we, we've been talking about that and we, we have our, our super fan Kathleen. <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> Shout say out that. Kathleen. Shout out to Kathleen. She's been great. Uh, she with told, us since day one. With, yeah. With us since day one, Kathleen, man, we got to get her on the show. I don't know if she'd like that. So uh, (laughs) she tells us that the word whiskey comes from a classical Irish Scottish Gaelic term. um, And it's spelled U-I-S-C-E space B-E-A-T-H-A. And she said it means water of life. But the loose pronunciation sounds something like Ishkaba. (laughs) So I did tell her that I cannot wait to speak Bad Gaelic on to, the air. To butcher. Yeah, to butcher it. So that's interesting. Everyone keep that in mind. Thank you to Kathleen for giving awesome. that to us. And again, please feel free to send us your cool trivia that we have not mentioned or even some that we have just building oh, yeah. off of that. Um, you can contact us at all of those places that Julia had said. So um, awesome. thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.